episode 114, Shield comic book number nine. The man called death. Welcome to level seven. A podcast about Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's a magical place. Hello and welcome to Level 7, a podcast that, as Clark Gregg told you, is about Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This is a comic book episode where we talk about some of the Marvel comics that have come out recently that tie into or tie in with some of our S.H.I.E.L.D. agents and S.H.I.E.L.D. relations. And usually what we do, and actually not usually, I think almost every time that we've done one of these uh, comic episodes, we have taken as the the anchor of that is the S.H.I.E.L.D. comic book, which... Uh, is on issue number nine right now. And then we've added on with some, with some extra ones. This time there's only two comics, just like there's two hosts. I'm one, Ben Avery, and the other host is? The anchor, Daniel Butcher. Daniel Butcher. So we have to talk about today, Hank Johnson, Agent of Hydra, issue number one. Okay, I admit it. I pushed for this one. And S.H.I.E.L.D. number nine, which includes not one story, Daniel. No, not two stories, no. Daniel. It's supersized. Three stories. It is the extra size 50th anniversary extravaganza. And if you look at the cover, it says inspired by the hit TV series. It says 50th anniversary extravaganza has the title. And then you see the list of credits, Daniel Wade. Yes. Ferguson. Yes. Mounts. Yes. With <gasps> Jack Kirby. And Jim Steranko. You know who they don't mention? Stan the Man. Or Dick Ayers. Yeah, yeah but they're doing it for the art. Uh, they are. They are. I mean, you can't argue based on what the third story is that Stan should have a credit on it. I would say that that's true. I would say that that actually should have been uh, Jack Kirby, Stan Lee, and Jim Steranko. Now, for me... The star of this book is the Jim Steranko material, which is only two pages of story, but four pages of material. Um, and then there's also they don't really mention. Uh, yeah, they don't mention Al Ewing. And they don't mention Stefano Caselli. Well, not everybody's getting their doing here. You know, I did learn, though. Right. I didn't realize this, that Steranko had actually uh, inked Kirby. Yeah, yeah. Actually, the the first couple of stories that he did with uh, Strange Tales, I think it is. Uh, mm -hmm. He he was inking Kirby, and and then he was taking over, you know, taking layouts from Kirby, and then he took over completely from Kirby, where he was drawing it himself. And those first few issues that where Stranko was drawing it by himself felt like it was Kirby art, but then slowly you see Stranko kind of emerge, like a butterfly from a chrysalis and you see him spread his wings and you see him getting, you know, doing some of the artistic stuff that really uh, put him on the map as, as a, one of the masters of the comic book form. Um, and I actually did a podcast episode. I've recorded it. I don't know when it's going to appear, but it's for the unofficial 75 best or greatest Marvel comics podcast. And where I'm talking about Steranko's work. On, on S.H.I.E.L.D., on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the uh, Nick Fury stories. But, yeah. So, what they did... Now, well, do you want to start with Hank Johnson, maybe, and then get into this? Because I, I feel like this is the star of the show. And I'd like to talk about Hank Johnson a little bit. But okay, I'd like so to get Hank that out of Johnson. The way. Yeah, let's talk about let, Hank Johnson. Let me talk about Hank Johnson. Who is Hank, Hank Johnson? Johnson? Written by David Mandel. Okay. Art by Michael Walsh. All right. Cover. By Matthew Wilson. And I do think it's important to call it the cover because it is a riff on the Jim Steranko classic. Nick Matthew Fury Wilson cover. is the color. The cover artist was Amanda Connor and Paul Mounts. Oh, never mind. 
Wow. Yeah. Uh, by the way, bad. Paul Mouse. You know, I, there's a reason why I did that. Why? Because Walsh did art for Secret Avengers, and Wilson did color and covers. Oh, okay. So and and so when I see this, it reminds me a lot of ways of Secret Avengers because the art style is very much the same. Well, and this and cover I, is definitely a riff on the ideas of a Jim Steranko cover. That's, that's yeah, the, the psychedelic Nick Fury. Mm-hmm. Except on this one, you got kids on a big wheel and the yeah. dog. Uh, you have uh, a garden hose with a sprayer, and you have a woman in a bathrobe. Standing next to a minivan, holding a uh, a flipper, uh, so, a, a food flipper, wearing slippers. So here's the basic story: Hank Johnson, Hydra agent. He's at work and stiff. You know, he's at work. Sure, Nick Fury comes along. Oh, by the way, this takes place in Secret Wars, and it's in the Hydra world. Is it the, in Hydra, the Hydra world? The Hydra Duchy. Well, because we talk about Zola way and but the Avengers uh, are there. Like I didn't get the impression when what? we were reading the thing with uh with So Okay, with, so that's where I got you're kind of jumping forward on me. But I did get a little bit confused because Shield is here and the Avengers are here, and at one point Shield comes and they, they act like they have some authority. But it's also pretty clear that in this, you know, in this fragment that Hydra's Kind of in charge, and he lives on Zola Way. So it very much makes you think, oh, this is the same uh, empire that we saw in Hill Hydra. But I kept saying, how 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 could Shield have an influence here? How could how could the Avengers be here? How could Nick Fury appear? Because Nick Fury appears, and this is the first Secret Wars story I've seen him in. Traditional Nick Fury. And you know what I finally said to it, Ben? I don't know what what did you finally say to it. I just said, screw it. I'm going to read it. <laughs> Just let it go, Daniel. I, I think Just you kind of have to. Just, this this feels like a comic, a, a comedy one-off. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Because because basically, it follows Hank Johnson around, working stiff at Hydra. He's got problems. He you know he needs to make some more money so he can get a nanny because his kids are crazy, and he's got to go to a fundraiser for the school and he doesn't want to go and he's going to invite somebody so he, he invites that Clay Quartermain guy that he seems to like from from his kid's baseball game. Right. But then, you know, but, and he gets that promotion, but there's that added, you know, what happens when you get that promotion? You know, is it everything you think it will be? And is his wife truly going to be happy if he gets that promotion? Especially considering who he's working with, who is a beautiful woman. And you also have the idea of, you know, he is working for Hydra. That quarter main guy is working for shield. Uh, they're friends when they're, you know, off the clock. But, they get a lot in common, they're you know, good dads. They work hard. And there's some fun artistic touches to this where like there's the page where they're they're standing there doing the Hail Hydra and they have their hands up in the air and they're just having a conversation. You know, the, there's little or no movement from panel to panel uh, other than, you know, turning his head to to look at the one next to him at his buddy next to him. And they, they do that a couple times where they're. You know, having these conversations while they're supposed to be hailing Hydra. And they're the sorts of conversations you have with your friends and in your workplace. Now, for their workplace, though, they do have, um, you know, workplace uh, accidents that include, you know, being maybe killed by Nick Fury. Uh, and On a semi-regular basis. And Zola performs the funeral and sings Amazing Grace. No, that was Modoc, wasn't it? Oh, you're right. It is Modoc. Not Zola. It's Modoc. Sings Amazing Grace. Uh, Baron Zemo was there at the funeral. Um, but it's definitely <laughs> this is a workplace comedy set in a universe where Hydra is a legitimate career opportunity. Aim is also a legitimate wor- wor- career opportunity. This does not fit the Hail Hydra universe. No, no, it doesn't at all. But again. As I said earlier, I got to a certain point. I just said, screw it. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it, it's it's a what if comedy issue. That's literally one off. And it's it, it definitely fits into that mold. I enjoyed it. I, I loved it. I, I didn't. I, thought, I won't say I, loved I thought it, you but, hated it. No, 
Because you, you made that cryptic comment, and I was like, oh, I know what that comment I means. say the same thing it. every time, which is, I, I, or, or a variation. I said, I read this comic, and I have a few thoughts about it. Because I'm yeah. trying to be cryptic, because I don't want us to have the conversation on Facebook about this, you know, if we liked it or not. Oh, man, I loved it. I the, thought you hated it. No, the From art, your again, cryptic you, remarks about it. No, man. This is awesome. Yeah. Well, show them who's the boss, Clay Jr. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they go to a little league game, and it's what was the team's names too? I mean, uh, the Junior Agents and the Tiny Hydras. Yeah, I mean they're they're clearly sponsored by these these um, organizations, and and there's comic. I mean, when I say comic now, I, I mean comedy stuff going on here, where you know, does he take the promotion or not? Well. They need a nanny, but they can't afford a nanny. But if he takes the promotion, they can. And what what pushes them over the edge? Well, there's some funny stuff that's just about being a dad and well, making it, mistakes and having issues and problems. And uh, it's, it's it's like you take a traditional family sitcom, and instead of you know dad's workplace being a court or a factory, they just make him a hydra henchman. Yeah, yeah, and it works. It works, and it, I, you know, there's some Star Wars stuff that I've seen where they've done that with stormtroopers and stuff like that. But this is—I mean, I'm looking at him in the workplace, and he gets kicked in the head by by uh, Nick Fury, and I'm just like, yeah. How many times do you go to work, Daniel, and you just feel like he got kicked in the head? A by lot. Nick Fury. Exactly. Exactly. But there's some references in here. Uh, the, the the opening splash page is is referencing Steranko shield storytelling and actually not just the opening splash page the opening sequence where nick fury wordlessly infiltrates the base stranko did that with his stuff and he was one of the first people at marvel who was able to do some storytelling with no words on the page stan lee would not let anyone else do it stan lee wouldn't let roy thomas write those kind of pages uh and roy thomas even has a, a quote in an introduction to one of the, the collections of, of Steranko's stuff where he's, he's talking about the thing was we all wanted to do that kind of thing, but we just couldn't. And Steranko then comes in and gets permission to do that stuff. But they're referencing that in here. And that's fun to me. This is definitely, I mean, I, I think the one thing I kept coming back to with you on Facebook, it, with you and Matt and, and Evan, as we've been talking about some things, um, was that there's deep cuts in these two books referencing Deep. shield comic history and this is one of them with, with oh, again starting with this cover that mm -hmm. Steranko cover is classic it's iconic and, and, and this and is definitely see it, and, and this it's is just a normal guy and i mean i got the dog i got the hose i got a minivan <laughs> and then there's bills too you have that that spinning spiral target kind of thing and what's falling in that bills He's got bills. He's got to pay. Yeah, Binky's <laughs> auto repair, repair, be mobile. I mean, it's and so it's a fun book. Do you recommend it, Daniel? Do you recommend it as a purchase now, oh, as a wait until it's collected, or borrow, or skip? It's four bucks. It is four dollars. It is now, four dollars. That means it comes with a digital code. It does. It does. It's a one-off story. It is. So you're, you're committing to one purchase. You're not committing to a series. It's worth four bucks. It really is. And part of my problem with the collection idea is where is this going to get put in with? Yeah. Is it going to be put in with Hail Hydra? Because Hail Hydra in the tone of this, totally not the same. What do they have in common? Hydra. Now, uh, I, I would agree. It's it's one that, yeah, I think that if you're in for this kind of storytelling, this kind of comedy or that kind of thing, um, you know, flip through it before you buy it. But it, I think it's worth the purchase. I think it's worth the read. I think it's the kind of thing, though, buy it and then let your friend who likes this kind of thing read it. You know, let them read it and let them borrow it from you and, and share the enjoyment. So your $4 goes to some enjoyment for you and some enjoyment for a friend or something like that. But Overall, I enjoyed it. I'm glad I bought it. I'm glad I read it. And I'll probably read it again just because of the kind of 
It's, so it's a fun. gentle comedy. It's so funny. Yeah. We've all been in that situation where it's like, I need more money. I got bills to pay. And we've been in it when it's been full of tension. And we've been in it when it's funny. And again, it's a sitcom. And the only difference is the dad, instead of being uh, an architect, he's a henchman. Yeah. So that brings us to our next deep cut. Oh, man. And this one's interesting because we talked Starting about... Starting at the cover. Yeah, you want to start with the cover? That cover. You look at that cover. Shield you history about right there, man. deep cuts. Shield Here. history right there. Two yep. flying cars. Two. Two. Sitwell. We got Howling Commandos. We got traditional Nick Fury. We got Coulson on the same page, on the same cover as traditional Nick Fury. Mm-hmm. And you get Fitzsimmons. They're there. They're on the cover. Daniel, you like Fitzsimmons, don't you? I do. Is that is that May fighting traditional Hydra? I don't know. Maybe. We get Sitwell. We get, I'm assuming that's Hill. Fighting traditional Hydra? Oh, no. You mean with the earpiece? Yeah, that looks like yeah. Hill. Yeah. I don't think it's Daisy. You get a helicarrier and you get. Though I will just say this story continues to establish the fact that Daisy and S.H.I.E.L.D. have made up. <laughs> just well, saying. Maybe this takes place post Secret Wars. We don't know. We, this is its own thing, too, in, in a lot of ways. Um, again, you don't have to be a deep student of Marvel history to appreciate what story you're getting because this is a Coulson story. Well, well and one I, of and them, not, one of the stories in this book is a Coulson story. And, and that Coulson story is a, another one off because the next one is the Howard the Duck one. Yeah. But this Coulson story is setting up some things I think that they're planning to do with the S.H.I.E.L.D. comic series. Although we're, we're getting it, I think they're resetting with an issue one uh, in the near future here with that. And a new title. But this is Coulson getting to... Uh, experience shield history and so stuff that you may not know about where shield comes from in the marvel comics universe it's here for you and it's another deep cut it's another deep cut into ancient history relatively speaking it's it's coming from more recent stories but ancient history that takes takes you back into you know, ancient Egypt as the origin of of S.H.I.E.L.D. Well, it, and I don't want to get too far into who we do see an appearance of, but basically where this could be seen as being either a huge win and brilliant or a huge fail, depending on how you feel about this storyline, is it takes the Jonathan Hickman S.H.I.E.L.D. miniseries and it basically links Nick Fury and then Coulson all together so that it is one nearly coherent shield history. So if you had questions and problems about what that ancient history of the shield was about and how it relates to current shield, they make steps to basically reconcile it. They do. And now what's, what's interesting about the timing is that they have recently revealed that the Jonathan Hickman shield series, which is again, just titled shield like this book is, but that series is about the history and it goes back and it gets into, you know, historical figures. It gets into ancient history, like I said, even going back as far as, as ancient Egypt. Um, but then it's all this mind bending kind of cosmic stuff going on, too. Uh, and it gets into the Illuminati and, and that with Marvel's Illuminati, I should say. Um, that series was never finished. But they never published the end of it, but they are doing that. They are going to finish that series, and we are going to get, I think, like a perfect collection, so to speak, of that entire Jonathan Hickman shield story. It ties in nicely with what's going on here. But then you also get the opening sequence is a two-page sequence that's Coulson reading a dossier from Nick Fury, but the artwork is by Jim Steranko. And the artwork itself is from a tryout that he did to ink over Jack Kirby 
and he did this tryout and it was um it was called uh the man called death and this was actually what nick fury what became nick fury agent of shield was originally going to be called nick fury the man called death and what does death stand for uh, director of external atomic threat headquarters so there was an external atomic threat headquarters that Nick Fury is going to be director of. Sounds like so he's them. Yeah, the, the man, man on the called wall. Death, or the man from ETH, because it's E A T H, external atomic threat headquarters. And so then you might get a Seath, the supervisor of external atomic threat headquarters, or a um, you know Jeeth, the janitor of external atomic threat headquarters. But anyway, Nick Fury was going to be the director of external atomic threat headquarters. And I'm glad that they switched that over to Nick Fury, agent of shield. But yeah, they took these two pages that never got used. They were printed in the, the recent edition of the Steranko um, Nick Fury, agent of shield collection that collects all of his agents of uh, his Nick Fury stories that he did. Uh, in, in that early uh, Strange, was it Strange Tales where they did that? I believe so. Yeah, I think it was Strange Tales, but then they also... Yeah, because the backup was Doctor, Doctor Strange. Strange. Yeah, and then, but but with that, uh, when they, they split the book, they, they gave uh, Steranko the Nick Fury title, and he did the first, he did four of the first five issues. The One of those issues in there was a, was a reprint, um, a retelling of the origin of S.H.I.E.L.D., but yeah, so you start out and you've got Steranko's art and Kirby's art in these first two pages, which is following Nick Fury just on a two page um, action sequence. Uh, and it's, it, but then it's Colson reading through and he's contacting Nick Fury Jr. and telling him what he's been looking at because there's something weird going on here and no one knows who this man called death is. Uh, and, and so for the, the man called death in this story, it's not Nick Fury. It's actually, uh, no, a villain character. Well, that Nick Fury was after. Maybe they're gray. What? Maybe they're a gray character. Okay. Well, uh, in the context of Nick Fury's report, He's looking at it as someone who's an antagonist. And it turns out it's someone who I don't want to give it away. We with the comics, we don't spoil too much. And so with this one, I don't want to give it away who it is, but he has connections to Shield's past. Well, and he wants Phil Colson to experience, not just read about Shield history. Yeah. So he basically gets like a uh, a mind hologram where he gets to see all the different things, you know, there's ancient Egypt and there's ancient China and there's Galileo and, and there's some of that ancient tech that Galileo was, was working with. And, and you're finding out who, what all the connections are with, with shield and how far back this goes and what is it that this man wants? Yeah, I do find some things that are interesting in here. Man, Again, one, the, the idea death. that Coulson is the one person who will most be interested in S.H.I.E.L.D. history. But we do get this great six panels that pretty much identifies every major S.H.I.E.L.D. director mm -hmm. and somewhat makes them legitimized. In the sense of, well, Norman Osborn's here. And, but with that... It legitimizes it, but it also gives that conspiracy theory that when when you're dealing with Illuminati type storytelling, which is, you know, ancient um, secret organizations that shield is, you know, with Hickman's run with Hickman's uh, story, shield is an ancient organization. And now the, the modern shield, well, we put these people in place. Why? So we could arrange things that we needed from them. And, and these people have prices to pay. And Phil's had a price to pay. Yeah. For where he's at. Yeah. And the other thing that we get from this story is, yeah, we get the history of shield, but we also get Colson as Colson. Who's he's the man with the plan. 
and you get this nice twist at the at the end that I wasn't expecting there to be a twist. I didn't know where I the agree. story was going, but all of a sudden, oh, there's a twist, and all of a sudden, oh, hey, there's our people, our shield it, people. That's a handsome fit. It He's is. looking good. It is. I like it's his a jacket. Team. It looks very stylish, more stylish than I'm used to seeing him wear. It's a it's a handsome team. Let's just face it. So, but again, Maria Hill and Quake both here. Where a year ago they were, you know, not talking. So, 50th anniversary extravaganza, you bet. This issue right here is cutting into deep past on a meta level with Jim Steranko's early shield work, his earliest shield work getting printed in a story for the first time. But then also that that whole, you know, Hickman Illuminati type ancient history deep cuts. Deep cuts. I'm that's it's great. impressive. It's well thought through. As a it. as a three ninety nine comic, would that have been enough for you? Yes. If, if this had been a three ninety nine comic and not a five ninety nine comic. Yep. Okay, because they added two bucks onto the cover price. But it wasn't because of the shield story. Nope. It was a just a regular size shield story. But then we get a regular size zero issue. Of Shields Howling Commandos. It really is. And when I saw this in the store, I bought the regular cover. I wanted to buy the variant cover because the variant cover was, it said, what? introducing. You? Yeah, I know. Well, I wanted to, but I didn't. It was 30 bucks. I mean, if, if the if the variant cover had been $5.99, I would have gone for it. If it had been $7.99, I might have gone for it. $9.99, I would have been, uh, I would have waffled, but probably wouldn't have gotten it. But the variant cover had a picture. It was the Howling Commandos of S.H.I.E.L.D. It had Dum Dum Dugan, it had Man Thing, which is the reason why I wanted it. Um, but it said, introducing the Howling Commandos of S.H.I.E.L.D. And I'm like, well, that's cool that they... Because I'm used to now variant covers that has nothing to do with what's on the inside. That variant yeah. cover was the cover for your the story here that we're having. I was totally surprised to find... When I turn the page, oh, we're at Area 51. Or, or something. Is it Area 51? I don't remember. I can't remember. But it's something like that. You know, it's a secret base. And it's a secret base that contains life model decoys of Dum Dum Dugan. And they wake him up for the first time. And he feels like he's a Frankenstein. He feels like he's a monster. And they're like, yep, we're waking you up because... We want you to head up a team of monsters because sometimes to catch a monster, you need a monster. Well, and it ties in and it builds off the original Sins Dum Dum Dugan story that I love. It really is a takeoff of from that point. And, you, and so I think you're making me want to read that, this Daniel. story. I could say it. That story ends with Dugan discovering that he died. In the and 60s. In the 60s. And he's an LMD and he asks Nick Fury. Just end it, Nick. End it. No more. For in memory of the man that you respected, end this. And now we get the next page where we know Nick didn't end it. He didn't. And there is a story arc here. What I like about this is, yeah, it's set up for what's to come. But Dum Dum goes on a character arc here. There is a change in his character from the first page to the last page. I like his journey. And you get monsters. You get a zombie. Oh, Daniel. The zombie. Zombie Sitwell. Zombie Sitwell. Oh, it's horrific because he has memories. And, and yeah. And then you have, you have a werewolf. You see Man-Thing in a container. He's contained, but he's not used in this story. And so the mission, they, they send Dum Dum on a mission, and the mission is to take down um, a super-powered creature. What was his name? Abomination Junior. Is it Abomination Junior? It's something like that. Kid Abomination. He shows up in Superior Iron Man number one, two, and Iron Man scolds him for his name. But he's just a kid, and so they have to figure out how do we take him down without killing a kid, you know? And you get this whole thing where Dum Dum, he's kind of taking these missions 
or this mission because he doesn't want other people, other creatures to be taken advantage of the way they're taking advantage of him. And yeah, it's, it's enjoyable. It's, it's got monster stuff going on, but it also has some heart going on with the There's characters. some sci-fi elements going on with Dugan's LMD. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's, but it's sci-fi in the sense of, okay, if you could transfer your consciousness, you know, what, what, what are the consequences of that? And then it's also sci-fi in the sense of asking the questions about, okay, so what makes a person a person? What makes a man a man? What makes an individual an individual? And if you are a copy of someone, are you that person? Uh, it, this is well worth, in my opinion, well worth reading. I enjoyed it a lot. And it makes me very much, uh, it, it makes me excited about the so, series. I will be honest. I am not a fan of the Monster Howling Commandos. We're swamp monsters. But what did you think of the story? Oh, I really liked it. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot. Again, for me, there's the sci-fi elements. And Dugan's at the real heart of this. And Dugan's got some drama going on. He's got some morals to uphold. It's good stuff. So I'm excited. I mean, our anchor for these episodes is the S.H.I.E.L.D. book. And when the S.H.I.E.L.D. book gets put into our grubby little hands... That's when we record an episode about comics and then we'll include anything else that came out between shield books uh, to, to uh, that'll be well, Howling Commandos of shield. I'm excited to be able to talk about those, those comics. So Just that's wait for October, buddy. <laughs> well, wait for September because I mean, September, buddy. Yeah. When we talk about uh, shield number 10, we're going to be talking about a lot of stuff as well. Uh, because there's weekly things coming out throughout September to celebrate the 50th anniversary of S.H.I.E.L.D. Hey, we probably should mention that third story real quick. Because it's really goes along with that anniversary. Why? It, it is actually what's being celebrated. Yeah, Strange it, Tales, it, number 135. And it is the origin story of S.H.I.E.L.D. by Leanne Kirby. Um, and Dick Ayers and Artie Simic as the letterer. I always uh, like the letterer never gets credit and Artie is good. He is, you know, as a letter best. Yeah. Still don't know what's going on with some of his caption boxes and early, but thought, thought balloons and speaking balloons and early X-Men. Why different colors? Eh, it doesn't matter. We're, we're talking about shield right now. We're talking about strange tales. I'm just a hot mess about different colored <laughs> talkie balloons from the same character. Yeah. It's confusing. Yeah. Yeah. I but anyway, know. that doesn't happen in this in this story. It again, it's the how Nick Fury came to Shield story. Um, I know I've reviewed it before. I'm welcome to level seven. It's a nice little story. I would say here's one way to pick it up if you don't have a copy of it. Yeah, and it's worth reading. I think because it, it may not be a modern style. Actually, it isn't a modern style. But you see for the first time LMDs. This is LMDs are in here. Flying cars are Tony in here. Stark. Tony Stark is in here. Hydra is in here. Um, the first female <laughs> Hydra who attained an exalted rank is in here and, and she becomes a character who and she's not a Viper. Yeah. Um, it, the helicarrier is in here. I mean, this is. This sets the scene. This this gives us those elements. Steranko puts it on the map. Jack Kirby and Stan Lee set the scene and start the ball rolling. It's Steranko who puts it on the map. It's Steranko's work on Nick Fury that made Nick Fury a viable uh, property. You know, he, he's, he's a B-list character when it comes right down to it. Um, but without Steranko's work, we wouldn't have Nick Fury approaching Iron Man at the end of the first Iron Man movie. Without this comic here, this this issue here, this is the one that starts it all, where they take Nick Fury from World War II and age him appropriately at the time, but they they make some you know they they figure out some kind of Marvel sci-fi way of of making him not as old as he should be um, to put him in the 60s or the 70s, but he was a 
he was a recurring character as a CIA agent in in Fantastic Four in some places. But then they here they make him full on spy and put him into the James Bond type of stories. And it's it's a fun read. It's not something that I will go back to a lot. Because while it is Jack Kirby and Stan Lee, it's not Jack Kirby and Stan Lee's most impressive and most best, in my opinion. But yeah. I So five ninety nine, you recommend it? Well worth the price of admission. Well worth the price of admission. And I would almost go on to say almost. I, I would have to, to, to check and see. Um, but I'd almost go as far to say is if you've only if you only buy one shield comic, this is the one to get. Boom. Just because of what you actually get in it. Three stories plus the Steranko artwork. You they do reprint in the back the pages without color and with the original um with with the original uh words and and, and captions. That's the slug line, kids. So yeah. Yeah, I, I would say definitely either if you you know all all three all the above buy the issue if if you're into that wait for the collection if you want to but if you're a fan of of marvel's agents of shield if you're a fan of nick fury at least borrow the thing and read it and and get a look at the steranko stuff get a look at the kirby stuff and yeah what do you think daniel i liked it i loved it 5.99 is a little pricey you could probably Break it down, catch, though. You probably catch it in collections for 12 to 13. But break it down. Break it down, Daniel. You do always like to go by a page for me, don't you? Well, I'm not going to, going to go by page, but I'm going to go by story. I mean, you're looking at $2 per story here. You're, but You're getting Shield issue but 1 for 2 bucks. some people may not want that Howling Commando story. You're getting Howling Commandos issue number 0 for 2 bucks, and you're getting a reprint of Strange Tales number 135 for 2 bucks. All right. Well, I'm not going to argue. I liked it. So, yeah. so I think that um, from here we are going to read some some feedback, uh, some more lost feedback. <laughs> um, you you ready for that, Daniel? Let's do it. All right. Maybe. Shield field report. All right, and so we have two, actually three things, but two of them are from one person. All right. Let's just do Age of Ultron first. Because it's chronologically first. Okay, sure. It's from Agent so, Ortiz. You going to read that one? I got it. All right. Long time listener, first time feedbacker. I was away on my honeymoon last week. Let me pause for a second and say congratulations belatedly. Very belatedly. And was catching up on the podcast. I have to admit that I wasn't overly excited about the prospects of the leader listener feedback episode, but overall, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Well done. I appreciate a lot of the different perspectives of all the listeners and enjoyed particularly the many views regarding the use of Widow in Age of Ultron. In the listener feedback episode, it was mentioned that the relationship between Bruce and Widow did not, simply put, seem strong or plausible, or maybe even useful. Over the past couple podcasts following Age of Ultron, there have been many points discussed regarding the relationship, but I do not recall anyone bringing up the one main purpose of the relationship, to control the Hulk. Now, my wife, upon watching the original Avengers movie a few years ago, pointed out a fairly important plot hole. In the first Avengers, Hulk loses control on the helicarrier, rips it apart, fights Thor, attacks a Quinjet, and even tries to hurt Widow. Then once the war starts, Bruce shows up, simply says, I'm always angry, and proceeds to willingly turn into the Hulk, fight only the Shatari, follows instructions from Cap, and saves Tony while he's falling unconsciously from the hole in space. My wife simply asked, why can't he control himself all of a sudden? A friend of mine who is a big comic junkie said the Avengers cannot control the Hulk, but can direct focus him into the enemy. Fast forward to Age of Ultron and the Lullaby. Although we do not get to see the development of the Widow-Hulk relationship to the point where we see the Lullaby being developed, I feel like the main point of the Widow-Hulk relationship was to reestablish a form of control for the Hulk, just like in the original standalone movies. In my opinion, the scenes between Widow and Bruce at the cabin are just tools used to demonstrate the bond between Widow and Bruce that we are unable to see developed between Avengers 1 and Age of Ultron. Again, I didn't hear this discussion much and wanted to know your thoughts. 
Cannot wait for the Daredevil podcast. Oh, we only have two of those left. <laughs> Agent Ortiz out. Uh, although, actually, this, well, yeah, this one, I don't know how old this one was. So, sorry, Agent well, Ortiz. But again, but, congratulations on the marriage. Yeah, and actually, this is probably going to your wife more than you, but you can both claim it, okay? So, let your wife know, if she doesn't listen, that this just happened. <laughs> The new prize winner of the day. It's a good plot hole. I had not considered that plot hole, and I like that that plot hole was brought up. So, it's well earned to the misses, Agent Ortiz. Uh, And you know there is that idea of the lullaby, and you know that she does soothe the savage beast. Um. But, you know, you say we didn't have much conversation about it. It's true. And and part of that is because it didn't get a lot of screen time. It was just there at the beginning. And it was referenced toward the end. Um, and I guess part of the tragedy is that the lullaby is not enough to allow them to continue a relationship. And so, you know, Hulk does end up going off and, and leaving her behind. But, yeah. So... Well- I think it's time for us to be taken to task, sir. Uh, Okay. In the first part, we're not being taken to task. This is from Agent Derek. Uh, The first part here uh, is feedback sent in about Ant-Man before our Ant-Man episode. And so this is kind of an uh, instant reaction uh, to Ant-Man. This is from Agent Derek. He says, uh, not sure if you've recorded yet or not, but I thought I'd send this in. My daughter and wife went with us to see Ant-Man. They've enjoyed the other MCU productions my daughter is a faithful viewer of agent carter and agents of shield but weren't really looking forward to this but they knew i really wanted to see it and some of their enthusiasm had rubbed off on my son they really enjoyed it i think their initial reluctance was the lack of familiarity with ant-man's story and i think even most of us who are familiar with ant-man are more familiar with hank and janet than with the incarnation they chose to tell watching my wife and daughter react when they learned janet was the wasp was just awesome They did a great job casting, and even the secondary characters did a great job supporting the story and carrying forward the tone they were trying to capture. Falcon and Ant-Man tangling outside the new HQ and the credits scenes at the end were all just perfect, even if the last scene was a bit perplexing. I had to go online to figure out what Cap had said to Falcon. Anyway, just a little feedback. Keep up the great work, guys. So that's uh, Agent Derek when he liked us. (laughs) <laughs> I'm, I'm being a little sarcastic but yeah because the next one he is taking us to task and, and there's actually some good points here and, and I mean, the fact that we ignored his email probably means he no longer listens yeah we didn't ignore this is one of the lost ones from our contact form that we're, we're digging out of uh, from under the pile there but this is from agent Derek, and the subject line is love you guys but respectfully disagree on many points with ham <laughs> Um, and we did have some points that we we had trouble with, and I don't know if we want to uh, address these maybe uh, individually or or wait to the end because there are some questions that come up here. Um, so stop me if if you want to stop me, Daniel. Oh, I've uh, never been afraid to stop you. Yeah, yeah. Messages uh, on Scott's role. Do you think that Hank would have had any interest in turning over his most prized invention to someone who didn't have redemptive qualities? The story highlights that even people who are qualified and serve their debt to society, still have huge challenges re-entering the workplace, Baskin-Robbins always finds out. And, and that's actually a good point, that they're they're highlighting that that point, that you know, once you've served time, um, you, you, you can't leave that behind. It is hard to find a job. And that's what actually a reason why a lot of people do turn back to crime, is because well, that's, the, that's the thing they know, and that's the thing that worked, and they can't make a living any other way. So that's and, that's and his I know first some, point. I know someone who went to prison for three years, and when they came back, they completely changed their appearance, grew a huge beard, grew out their hair, because they lived in the same community, and they, in many ways, I feel like they were trying to put on a mask. Uh, next point that Agent Derek brings up. If you swap the characters' genders out, would you would you criticize the story for being sexist towards men? Uh, because we were criticizing the fact that, uh, the, the role anyway, that, um, that, not, that, that Hope had played. And she didn't, she didn't get to have the suit until a post-credit scene. And even then we didn't get to see her in it. And 
uh, just to address this specific question, if you swap the genders out, would you criticize the story? No, I, I, I wouldn't. Um, but that's because there is a general attitude of sexism in superhero movies. And, and I say, we'll wait and see what happens with Captain Marvel. We will. We will. And, you know, we'll see if it, um, you know, fits the whole uh, narrative of, you know, female superheroes don't sell tickets. Um and and then the argument can be made, well, but what female superheroes have we had? Supergirl, Catwoman, Elektra. I mean, I like the Supergirl Ugh. movie, but those other two, I haven't even seen Elektra. I, I need to watch it just so I can have a reason to hate it if I'm going to hate it. Um, I like Supergirl, but Catwoman, oh my goodness. <laughs> Better Never than Fantastic Four, well. though. Um, uh, and, and so it's it's the general sense of the women are almost always supporting roles. Even Black Widow, to an extent, in Ultron, played a supporting role uh, and doesn't get her own solo story. And, you know, plays a supporting role then in Winter Soldier. And most women in superhero movies are given the role of girlfriend to the hero. That's what you get with uh, Betty and Hulk. That's what you get with Carter in the movie. But she does get to grow beyond that on the on the TV. And, and that's good. But um, that's what you get with Pepper Potts. I mean, they try and amp that up in Iron Man 3. They try and, you know, make her, you know, she's running the business and that. But she's supporting cast for for Tony Stark. And and that's what I'm kind of looking at when I see Ant-Man. I'm like, well, hey. It's just more of the same there. Um, but anyway, uh, there's something here then that, that Agent Derek, I think, can kind of um, continue making his point here now that I've I finished my side. Uh, both men who wore the helmet uh, recognized that this was about Hank holding on to the last thing he has in his life. Hope has thrown him a lifeline. And he's desperate to hold on to it. If it was sexist, why on earth would Hank go on missions with his wife? He celebrates Janet's sacrifice as much as he regrets his own lack of heroism. In many ways, I think that you see a toned down Hank in the movie incarnation from what we're used to seeing because of losing Janet. Her sacrifice is a big part of the story. Hope freaking trained Scott for the mission. There was never an argument that she wasn't capable of executing the mission. She had a critical role because to use a Blues Brothers reference, I was on the inside. You were on the outside. She was in a unique position to to ensure the success of the mission, a role no one else involved could possibly execute. In fairness, Darren Cross let her perform the role because he is suffering from typical evil villain syndrome. And for the record, my kids loved Anthony. I firmly think you're going to see a lot of ant farms at science fairs next year. At one point, you kind of expect Hank to say to Scott, that's why you don't give them names. It contrasts Hank's lack of sentimentality and lack of interest in con connecting with others with Scott's empathy and desire for connection and community. Great point there. Um, I still like how Scott's friends narrate the story and Scott redeems them. They become heroes. They do exactly what you wanted to see Scott do. I almost feel like you guys are finding reasons to be down on this movie. Uh, I don't feel like we were down on the movie, were we? No. I mean, we were down were on high. we were down on Guardians of the Galaxy. We were, and and I kind of regret that. But I really, really enjoyed Ant Man. I really, really enjoyed it. I thought that that came out, but if it didn't, I did a really poor job of podcasting. It's, <laughs> so. it's the first MCU movie I haven't seen twice in the theater. And, my fa and I'm the only one in the family who's seen it so far. I haven't seen it twice in the theater yet, but that's because we just haven't had a time to find my, my son's friends uh, the opportunity to, to go and see it with them. But yeah, if I came across as not liking that movie, I did a really poor job of podcasting. Um, so I apologize for that. You do have some good points though, uh, with, and you'd have some counterpoints then too, also about the, the gender stuff that I was talking about. Um, so yeah, I, I do appreciate this and we do want to, we want this kind of thing. We, we want to have people come in and, and call us out and we want to have people with, uh, differing opinions. And so Derek, thank you for sending this in after listening to the podcast and after sending in that first email and, we didn't skip it because we didn't agree with it. We just didn't know we had it, but it wasn't lost. So yay. Right. Right. It's found. Yeah. Daniel, you're not being enthusiastic. You're kind of 
harsh in my buzz, man. Dude, I'm just wearing <laughs> down. <laughs> well, it is time for us to uh, to wrap things up. So, um, Daniel, I, I want to thank everyone for listening, and I want to ask you: Do you have anything uh, to add? Do you have any final words of wisdom for us well, to share with our listeners? Just remember, because I'm just not feeling it tonight. So next time, give me a 48 log and a derby hat. Then we'll talk. Thanks for listening to Welcome to Level 7. You've heard us, now we'd love to hear from you. Go to welcometolevel7.com slash feedback where you can contact us through our website. You can also leave us a voicemail by calling 177-55-LEVEL-7. You can also join the lively conversation going on at facebook.com slash welcome to level seven or connect with us on Twitter where we're level seven pod. And remember, the seven is spelled out. Our theme music is The Light Fantastic by J.S. Earls. And you can find that at transplant.bandcamp.com. Welcome to level seven is a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award winning and award nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Learn how to podcast, get productive in your personal and professional life, theorize over TV shows, laugh with our clean comedy, delve into science fiction and philosophy, learn critical thinking from movie reviews, and more at noodle.mx. MX. Once again, thanks for listening. And remember, welcome to Level 7. It's not just a podcast. It's a magical place. I'm so tired. Well, let's uh, stop recording then. But, but then we'd break, you know, the history, the, the trend we've, we've always done before. What's that? have great ideas after post-credit. Daniel, not every post-credit is really a great idea. I think, I think the trend is we have post-credit. We get lucky when there's a great idea. (laughs) So, yeah. So I think we can just leave it at you're tired and we're going to stop recording. What do you think? Hey, maybe we should say this. What? You remember last time we talked like this, we talked about a contest. Yeah. We haven't announced the context yet. It's still coming. <laughs> it is. I've you got the feel that right sense of foreboding? Yeah. The foreboding of managing a contest. <laughs> it's not always easy, Daniel. It's not. But someone's got to do winners. it. There'll be winners there. Someone's got to do it. We're not lying. It's going to happen. This isn't like the X-Men Days of Future Past commentary. Oh, we totally have notes for that. Forgot about that. We totally have notes. We need to do that. Well, I got some dates coming up where maybe we could. Okay. Yeah. Cause In October. Hey. I mean, what's going to stop me from doing it? Nothing I can think of. Lacrosse? Oh, man. The lacrosse never ends. Never <laughs> ends, buddy. <laughs> All right. Well, like I said, I think we should just stop recording. What do you think? All right.